podcasting live from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It's your girl, y'all, a native of Philadelphia, certified trauma therapist, and your favorite psychologist, Dr. Dawn Gillette Crossan. Dropping science with sanity sessions for sisters, keeping it together when you want to fall apart. A podcast by a black woman for black women and people of color that gives the real deal on trauma, life, and mental health. And while we are excited that you are tuning in, and we hope you find the topics and information useful, remember y'all, this ain't therapy and is not intended to replace a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, 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 what up gang? Today we have with us someone who is near and dear to my heart. She has done so much in terms of accomplishing in the midst of adversity. She is truly a blessing. She is my BFF's daughter and my goddaughter, Monet Evans. Originally coming from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Monet Evans is a senior policy analyst at the New York City Mayor's Office of Operations. In her role, Monet manages and supports policy and program implementation across New York City agencies with a particular focus on criminal justice initiatives. Prior to joining the mayor's office, Monet led a statewide campaign at Global Citizen and advocated for an end to the cash bail system in New York, which was featured in the National Geographic docuseries, Activate. Through her work, Monet hopes to inspire greater institutional and systematic changes within the criminal justice system. Monet is an MSSC graduate from the New Schools Urban Policy Analyst and Management Program, and she obtained her BA degree in Political Science and International Affairs from Gettysburg College. Let's jump in and hear from Monet. What up, Sang Gang? Today, we have the opportunity to be on the couch with someone that is very, very dear to me. I'm so excited to have her. Um, she is my goddaughter, uh, and you heard that awesome, awesome bio, but we have Monet Evans with us today. Now, you guys who know about my grief process and some of the things I've shared over the course of season one and season two, you guys know my BFF, um, Monica. You guys know I lost her in January of 2018. So Monet is the third child of Monica. She's the second to the youngest. Um, And so you're going to hear a whole lot today. She's going to bless us with her insight, her wisdom. And so guys, let's tune in and listen to Monet. Welcome, Monet. Thank you. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You are so welcome. I'm just so glad we were able to make this happen, right? Yes. <laughs> with our schedules, here. with our schedules, right? Right? Yeah. So Monet, you have a lot of things going on. You have so much um happening. So in addition in addition to that bio, can you jump in and tell us a little bit more about what you do currently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um currently a senior policy analyst at the New York City Mayor's office. Mm-hmm. So I work in our office of operations which pretty much kind of is like the glue to a bunch of city agencies. So when the mayor announces a new initiative or program, you know, we kind of get together and project manage it. We help with uh, policy implementation Mm -hmm. and um, seeing a project through from start to finish Mm -hmm. um, and, and coordinating a bunch of the agencies who, you know, either will house the program or project or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm a I'm a senior analyst there. I've I've been at the mayor's office um over a year now, about a year and a couple months. Okay. Um and my background, like specifically I work a lot on like criminal justice reform related policies. Um that's like my interest area. And prior prior to coming here I was actually doing some campaigning work at Global Citizen, right. um, which was featured on a, a National Geographic docuseries uh, where we were campaigning for bail reform throughout New York. So um, that was a really cool experience. And um, yeah, prior to that, I was in grad school mm-hmm. where you know I really got to dive deep into urban policy issues. Um, that's what my master's is in, urban policy analysis. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's just a little, 
a little background Here about my work. Oh, sorry, I think I... That's okay. Listen, we we kicked it. We it, what happens happens when you're dealing with this world, this platform, anything can happen. My dog would come in barking in some episodes. Yeah. So our we are so fortunate to have a very forgiving audience. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, very forgiving. Yeah. So um you, you threw a lot of things out there. So you're working with in the mayor's office. That is amazing in New York. I don't think I realized mm-hmm. when you transitioned from global citizen exactly what that entails. So thank you for giving us additional mm-hmm. piece. What exactly is urban policy? Break that down because, you know, it sounds like, you know, what does that mean? Yeah. yeah so um, that's a, that's a cool question. I feel like when I was looking at graduate programs, I really wanted to, and like I had a, a background in political science from undergrad, mm-hmm. but I really wanted to look more at public policies that relate to communities of color that relate to marginalized, you know, um, groups and individuals and, you know, what are the types of things that kind of shape their day-to-day lives. So um, the program that I ended up finding was actually in New York at the new school. um, And they had this master of science that was specifically geared towards that. It was um, urban policy analysis where you get to concentrate on whether you want to look at education policies or whether you want to look at homelessness and housing, um, you can kind of dig into a lot of the things that affect cities Mm -hmm. um, and and really what affects like um, more so marginalized individuals who live in in some of these big cities. So um, yeah, that was my concentration ended up being um, mostly around criminal justice and, and education um so so yeah uh that's a little bit of background on the urban on the urban policy thank you for breaking that down because i'm like so you're talking about policies that had to do with the hood like where i'm from <laughs> <laughs> right right exactly exactly hey 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 so in addition to your master's, you have your bachelor's i remember i remember visiting you at gettysburg uh university um mm-hmm. that coming from where we're from you know, um, the areas that we're from, of course, you and I are from similar areas because of, you know, I grew up with your mom. Right. And there's a lot of, I felt like, uh, for my generation, at least there were some barriers, barriers to, um, actually getting formal education, finding funding for formal education, and then even completing it. You know, you, you know, during the time when I was going, I, I was experiencing a lot of things, um, both um, within my personal life, but also just environmentally. At the time, there was a lot of drive-bys, a lot of drug dealings, um, and just and I, and I lived in that neighborhood on that block where some of those things happened. So overcoming those barriers, when I look back, was tremendous. You know, mm-hmm. um, can you speak to a little bit about that for yourself? Like, what were some of the barriers that you had to overcome in in order to become to be in the space that you're in now, where where audience, I need you to know that my goddaughter is the most humblest young lady you ever want to meet, you know, um, in terms of her accomplishments. Because I think sometimes when we when we pull ourselves out from that discouraged place to that determined place, sometimes we can, you know, walk around with our heads, uh, with our heads in the air, you know, or, you know, with a chip on our yeah. shoulder and, and never, you just never exude that. And so can you talk a little bit about some of those struggles and how did you kind of pull yourself out of some of those? Cause I know I was, I was present for some of that. So I know it was tough. So can you speak a little bit about yeah. that? Um, no, thanks so much for that. Um, and, and I feel like there, every, everybody has their, their barriers and their struggles when, when, you know, they want to get to, you know, these types of career goals or whatever they're setting out to do. Um, but specifically for like, for like people of color and, and specifically coming from certain areas and then going to, you know, a, a college like Gettysburg, which is a predominantly white right. institution, there's really unique, really unique and, and, and unfair challenges that shouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the biggest thing I guess that stands out for me was like, you know, in Philly, I, I went to, um, I went to school in Northeast, Philly and like I just remember you know our library we, we had a 
whole new school building because the previous one got burned down. Um, so we had a whole new school building. <laughs> right. And like it was it was nice looking, you know, but when you walk through the halls, you have like metal detectors, you have security guards watching your every single move. Yeah. You have a, a library that does not even have textbooks. Like there yeah. was no textbooks in this library. Um, luckily, I was able to get in a few honors classes that they offered. Yeah. Um, but like you couldn't take the books home to do your homework. Yeah. So it was it was a huge um it was a huge set of challenges that really shouldn't exist right. for people who do want to get to the next level. And like you know you know we used to live in Georgia, mm-hmm. so like seeing that uh, difference yeah. in terms yeah. of like the setting of, of being in an inner city school versus like a more like suburban area was just like a huge yeah. like, stark contrast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I felt like when I did get to college, I was like kind of playing catch up a little bit yeah 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 it was it was hard like i would see you know my my peers getting their writing assignments and not even having any question about what to do first or what to research or how to structure their papers and things like that and like i was used to coming from a place where i didn't have to study for an exam i could just walk in and take it and pass (laughs) and like you know it wasn't um, it wasn't that academically challenging from, from the high school I went to versus college. Um, so there was a lot of just learning and like sitting and figuring out, you know, how I need to, how I need to prepare myself, how I need to study that. Like, I know my peers didn't have to go through. Um, so I think, you know, what was helpful for me, especially like preparing to do that transition from high school to college was having, um, first of all, like my mom, (laughs) she was, she was always about the academics and she was always like so supportive of whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. And I remember there was this one day where in high school, uh, this group called Philadelphia Futures came and was, was talking to a few students and was like, you know, we get college prep help, we get help paying for school. Um, I think you might be interested in it. A lot of my friends was like, mm, that was lame. Like, no, I'm not gonna go. Right. And at first I was like, mm, yeah, I don't think I wanna do another like after school program type of thing. Um, and I remember telling my mom and she was literally like, oh no, we doing this. <laughs> <laughs> excited about it and I was just like um okay like I guess we can go to the first meeting I think I had the interview for it um and she took me to the interview and I just remember it kind of just working out well and and I got in the program and next thing you know they really did help me a little bit along the way like even though you know my school didn't really help us with prepare for SAT they gave us SAT prep you know, they gave us um, the textbooks that we needed. You know, they kind of helped fill a little bit of that gap, yeah. Um, yeah. which was great. And then, you know, when I got into Gettysburg, I didn't even know about Gettysburg until they did a consultation and, like, told me about this school and, and sent me on a visit. Um, and because of their relationship with Gettysburg, I got a full scholarship to go and, like, it was just, it was crazy the way, it you know, that happened. It was powerful, though. Um, powerful, because I can remember yeah. you, uh, your mom being like, she's a nerd, like you. I was like, is that a compliment? <laughs> I'm really sure. She she reminds me, did she used to say that to you? She, you remind me so much of Dawn. Yeah. She reminds me so much of you. Like, she's always reading a book. I'm like, okay, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. yeah, she used to say that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, she was definitely... Um, one of the main support systems that was able to, you know, even though we didn't have too much, like I didn't feel like I yeah. was missing out. Right. On right. A lot. Yeah. And you yeah. see that a lot in urban areas where we, we're considered poverty, but we don't feel necessarily like we're in poverty. We may not have like the latest, you know, greatest outfits or shoes, right? Sneakers, but we don't feel like we're in poverty because we have that support from our parents and we have that love, which definitely can replace any material possession, right? 
So I definitely, right. I definitely understand that. But that's a powerful story. Like that's just powerful how all that came about. And and I don't care how many times you tell it. It's just every time I hear it, I'm just like, wow, like that's so amazing. It's so amazing. Yeah. Speaking of your mom, you know, mm -hmm. we had a, a nice dialogue prior, a long dialogue <laughs> prior to start the taping about, you know, her her passing and, and what it meant to us individually, you know. Um, and how how we've been dealing with it and coping with it because that sounds like you know when we talked about it that's a you know when, when you think about moments where you have to pull yourself up from the mat and kind of stand up again you know yeah. I don't know about other people but I've had several of those moments in my life I don't feel like I could just I don't feel like that is just one moment you know like mm -hmm. um, but you wanna, let's talk a little bit about how that was for you and 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 how did you kind of pull yourself up and how are you still managing? Cause it's still kind of fresh. It's been, it's been three years, yeah. but it's still kind of fresh. Yeah, definitely, definitely still fresh. Um, and I feel like that's something I'm working on. Sometimes it feels like every day, like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I feel like when my mom first passed away, um, I, it, it was way harder uh, to do the whole pulling myself up type of thing. Um, but I had to, right? Like in, in today's yeah. society, we don't have a choice yeah. but to keep working and, yeah. you know, get over it. And, you know, I still had to finish school. I, I was in grad school at the time. I had to finish school. I had just started uh, my first real job. I was working full time. Right. <laughs> so it was like work during the day, class at night. Yeah. Um, so I really did not have the time to not pull myself up um even though I was going through most of my day kind of just like numb a little bit yeah. or, or working to as a distraction yeah like, oh let me focus on you know let me do this report because then I won't have to think about this. yeah yeah um um but yeah it was definitely I think at first it was hardest um because I was just working to get through mm -hmm. and, and kind of avoiding you know all my feelings and things like that and avoiding the grief um because it was just too like painful yeah. to like sit with yeah. and I, I didn't have the time to sit with it um eventually over time I, I definitely feel like I've developed a lot more healthy ways of coping and, and grieving um and just being a little bit more um, positive and I think for me that has come from like being healthier um, a little bit more mindful of like my, my mental health yeah. and, and my overall wellness um, so um, recently I actually started up a, a, a blog and a social media page around um, this health and wellness called Sharon Strain um, and you know it, it's good because I, I get to go to the gym and I focus on you know, getting stronger and I focus on, you know, workout as, as a, a stress reliever. Um, and it's like, it's relieving in, in a way because like you can kind of not trick yourself, but like you get those positive yeah. endorphins running yeah. and like yeah. there's science, all these things behind the benefits of it. Um, and it's actually been one of the best ways that I've been able to like, you know, process things like I can get on the treadmill and, and go for a nice run and like listen to one of my mom's favorite songs yeah. or, you know, just be a little bit more at peace once I'm done with my workout. Yeah. Um, so that's one crutch for me is like focusing on on how I'm feeling uh, every day. It's right, like right, right. a way that I'm pulling myself up. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's awesome. So you use workout you know, when you were talking about work um sometimes i think you know it's not bad to have a distraction i just think that we can't stay in distraction land at some point we have to you know deal with the emotions yeah. and, but even after we deal with the emotions i think in order to not stay there we have yeah. to have other things fill in our lives that that distracts us you know distracts us at times so i don't know that that's a bad thing it sounds like okay. it was good for you in some ways too right yeah, yeah, definitely um, beneficial. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if I didn't have that, then I wouldn't have been so motivated in my first job about, you know, 
I was working at an um, alternative to incarceration agency at the time. So that kind of got me in the seat of being able to work on more criminal justice related um, issues when I had got to Global Citizens. So like, I think that type of hyper focus yeah. um, helped. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that. I definitely feel that. So you had the, you had the, you were discouraged when you were younger in terms of the, the school system that provided you with like, sounds like really no resources and sounds like, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord provided a way for you to have those resources and your mom, same thing when I was in school, your mom always was like encouraging me to make sure I finished when I yeah. felt like I wanted to quit. She was there to be like, nah, we're not quitting. <laughs> you know, like she was really, yeah. she was, that was, she was that, she was that one. She was that chick. But, um, yeah, but it sounds, her. yeah, it was her, right? Your mom can make light in any situation. Right, <laughs> she, right, find, exactly. she was able to find a way. Um, but it sounds like you had that moment where you had to pull yourself up, up off, up off the mat from the discouraged pieces of like, just like, look at this. I don't have textbooks. I don't have what I need, you know, and adore, you know, you, and when you saw that light, you grasped onto it. But it also sounds like after the death of your mom, you know, cause you graduated right after that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. she, she passed in January, 2018 and your, your goddad and I was yeah. at your graduation in May. Yep, so that was May. like, yep. so like, you know, how was that? Like, cause I mean, I hear what you're mm-hmm. saying. Like you kind of was like, let me focus on writing this report, but that was, you know, that was, uh, yeah. amazing, but I know it had to be difficult. Yeah, that was, that was very hard. Um, one of the hardest things I feel like I've ever done, like, I feel like there were so many times when, especially at first, like those first couple months where I was like, I'm not going to go to class. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to make it to class tonight. Yeah. Um, and I didn't like have that interest in learning anymore at some point. I was just like, let me just get it done. I'll, this is my last semester. I just have to you know, do the bare minimum and get it done. Um, and in the end, I, I, I actually, like, you came to graduation and I was one of the student speakers. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Just, just uh, had so much um, to look forward to at graduation and after graduation with working and, and having a job and stuff. It's definitely a huge blessing to like already have some of those things in place while I was still grieving. Um, and, you know, it was affecting me and like still affects me to this day. Yeah. Um, um, but, you know, somehow, somehow I was able to kind of keep going. Yeah. Um, I think too, just having you know, my family, having you guys and, and my friends too at the time were yeah. just like constantly mm-hmm. checking in, constantly, you know, being there for me. Um, and having like that community around was everything during that time. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was hard, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it was like one of the hardest yeah. hard couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. It was it. Yeah, I I agree. You know, I'm coming from a friend perspective, sister. She was she was Monica was more of a sister to me than anyone, but um they I would agree that was a difficult time. That was definitely a difficult time. But you made it I knew you were going through, but you seem to it sounds to me like you used the resources that were around you, um, in terms mm-hmm. of like the positive social supports. Um, mm-hmm. you had like, you had a job, you had something to kind of look forward to, even though at times you were like, uh, I'm not going to go to class yeah. today. I don't want to do this. You still, you know, <clears throat> and I think we have those moments. I think there's those moments where we just like, you know what, I'm not doing anything, you know, today, but then we, you know, we pick ourselves back up each day. I think it's a journey and the journey is every day. What we're going to do this day with, with, with this pain, because grief is real. Right. Grief is real. And I don't think. <clears throat> I think people of color, I don't know that we have had spaces to really properly grieve because we've yeah. always, you know, we've always kind of kept going, kept moving and therapy and those types of things that we talk about now. I think um, we still have stigmas around it. 
It's not yeah. as much, it's not as bad as it used to be, but it still exists. Stigmas in regard to mental health, stigmas in regards to seeking out treatment. I think those things are real yeah. things, you know. Um, speaking of yeah. which, how did you feel about therapy during that time? And was that a part of your journey? Yeah, no, as you were talking, I was just going to say, like, I, I also had a big stigma about starting to go to therapy. And, and like, I always thought, you know, something must really, really be wrong with this person. Yeah. If they said they went to talk to a therapist. It was it is very taboo, especially in the black community. Yeah. Uh, so me now, I, I go to therapy like I have a regular therapy session and like it's still real new to me. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. But I'm so mad that I didn't do this sooner. <laughs> like, I'm like, wow, I didn't even like, you know, like know. So you just thought your godmom was working with people that really had serious problems. <laughs> like that's that's yeah. godmom stuff. I don't need godmom right. kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you've been taking it for like uh, the longest time, but still, it's just like didn't click until for me, it was like, okay, I I need to relieve some of this yeah. off of myself. Yeah. Um, that's been one of the, the biggest benefits of going to therapy for me is like that lighter feeling, like yeah. that feeling of being lighter. Yeah. Like I just was like I didn't know I could feel that without like having a glass of wine right. or like going, you know, out or going to some exciting trip or something. Yeah. You know? Definitely. So, um, and, and when we get into like uh, drinking uh, and substances that 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 can be so dangerous right it can be so dangerous um because that becomes our go-to and then and then we're not actually feeling you know like i tell people all the time like a glass of wine here and there whatever but when you're having a glass of wine every night to help de-escalate and then it turns into two and three like so we're not really feeling and so when we're sober we we have to feel those emotions all over again and that sucks and i went i know yeah. you know i went through a period of time after the loss of my parents where i drank heavy your mom was right there with me. <laughs> and I, I, I drank heavy. And I remember when I finally stopped drinking and I started kind of focusing on the healing process, I had to grieve all over again because I numbed right. the first time around. Like if, and, and I remember that the first time I started to deal with my parents' death without a drink, um, it was horrible because it was just like, yeah. I felt like I was experiencing it all over again. So I try to caution my clients yeah. and people like, you know, I'm not saying don't abstain if that's your thing, whatever, but you don't want to be medicating around that yeah. pain because you then you, when you're sober, if you ever become sober again, because some people become addicted, right? But right. when you're sober, then you have to re-experience that. And that's just no fun. It is yeah. no fun. That is very true. Like, so I'm not a huge heavy drinker, but I definitely feel like around this time of year, like this anniversary of, 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 of my mom's passing time of year, I would probably drink a lot more than usual. Yeah. Um, and this is the first year where I'm doing like no alcohol January, the whole dry January yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, and I felt way different <laughs> about yeah. the grief. I definitely feel more feelings yeah you know I, I feel it a lot more um but i also feel like i'm finding better like solutions like better Open ways skills. to feel better right that's yeah. awesome that's an awesome that's an awesome story and an awesome uh message that you're sending it's nothing wrong with feeling in order for us to heal we got we have to feel you know um yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that and and when we numb and avoid feelings it takes longer for the journey and i and yeah. i found that in myself it took me so much longer to get over my parents stuff because i i avoided feeling it I, and when yeah. i did feel it i judged it you know i judged it. you shouldn't be feeling this way you should be over this you know and it just made it worse you know and so right. it i you know I, I tell people listeners please if you're going through some difficult time a tough time do not run to alcohol and drugs as a, a form of coping yeah. because you, you know, you're going to have to always use it in order to get through it, you know? And right. so, you know, it's, we want, yeah, it's we not, want, it's only temporary. It's not going yep. to actually resolve anything. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you, you talked about, uh, um, you were working at a place uh, alternative to incarceration, right? And mm -hmm. then you also did global citizen. And I know mm -hmm. that, all of that alternative to incarceration, global citizen and urban policy 
Um, uh-huh. All of that kind of tied into the recent events uh, surrounding your father and, and, uh-huh. and the docu-series. So can you tell, now you know I know all about it because I'm one of your biggest fans, <laughs> right? <laughs> but can you tell the audience about the docu-series, about the situation with your dad and all of that and how those things kind of interconnected? Yeah, um, definitely. I feel like that's been one of the, you know, huge highlights for me of 2020. Um, I'll just start from the beginning. Um, So my dad was incarcerated since 2007. Mm -hmm. um, And he miraculously was released um, in October of 2020, last year. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't supposed, you know, he, who, his sentence was supposed to be that he would get out in like 2032. Yeah. Uh, so we, nobody expected that he was about to get out and, and that that was about to happen. Um, and when I was at Global Citizen, they actually featured a little bit of, of this story in the docu-series called Activate. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's like episode two of, of their series. Um, so if you ever check out National Geographic Activate, um, I go into more detail on there. Um, but yeah, they were able to kind of feature the fact that he was sentenced to, to about 32 years for, for a nonviolent drug offense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, what I was trying to hit at was how our system of mass incarceration and hold the whole, you know, um, period of time with the war on drugs affected black communities and, and it yeah. still um, had a huge toll on, on, on black communities and still yeah. does. Yeah. Um, and, and took away a lot of, you know, major caregivers and, and, and really yeah. broke up families and placed a huge strain on, on mothers and, and things like that. Um, so having that happen, having the docuseries happen in 2018, and then now my father, um, got out on a, on, on a compassionate release. Um, he was able to, you know, get some new lawyers and a new organization to support him getting out. And, and they looked into the, the lengthy sentence that he had, which, which was unjustified, yeah. um, based on like the changes in legislation that were passed federally. Um, so he was able to get out um, and, and having, you know, act, having advocated for his release for a while and helped put together paperwork and documents, you know, um, for his petitions for release and stuff um, was a tremendous, like, like, I don't know, for me, I felt like we did it. Like we yeah, won. Yeah, yeah, that was so awesome. <laughs> um, that was good. so awesome yeah. to watch, like. <laughs> because it's clearly two different it's two different justice systems here. You know, mm-hmm. it's clearly two different justice systems. I saw um someone sent me a text and it, it, it outlined a gentleman named Khalif Browder. He allegedly mm-hmm. stole a backpack at sixteen yep. and spent three years at Rikers Island without trial, but yet Riley Williams, who was part of the Capitol yep. Riots, who stole Speaker Pelosi's office, um, laptop from her office, tried <laughs> selling it to the Russians. Now she's trying yeah, to, sell it. Try to sell it to the Russians. She home with her mama. You know what I mean? <laughs> Khalif, they didn't even have a trial. We don't even know if no. he actually stole the backpack. And they no, sent their exactly. brother to Rikers. You know, so there's mm-hmm. clearly two different justice systems here. Yeah. And, that, and that whole thing about white privilege being a myth, I'm like, it's so re- ridiculous that people would think no, like it's that. Ingrained in, yeah, it's ingrained in every system, especially you know, a system that was kind of designed to arrest and incarcerate uh, um, black folks. Yes. So yes. it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And I was watching, um, there's like a new series on Netflix, a uh, documentary called like about the whole crack epidemic. I think yeah. it's called crack. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where they even go into the disparities between um, white people who were arrested and using um, powder and crack cocaine at yeah. higher rates than black people and selling it at higher rates. And there was like at 1.0% of white people being arrested for it oh, while wow. the prisons oh. were filled with 
people wow. of color. Wow. That's... <laughs> It's, it's crazy. And people it's wonder crazy. why I try to watch cartoons when I do have an opportunity to watch TV because that kind of yeah. stuff just, that just makes me, enrages me sometimes. And I just it don't. Me so mad. I was like, why am I watching this? Right. Yeah. And it just enrages me. And I'm like, what am I going to do with this rage? <laughs> so yeah. I would rather watch Batman than have to see <laughs> stuff like that because it just is like, this is so, it's so blatant. It's so blatant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully with, uh, recent things like Capitol Hill, things that was, mm-hmm. you know, broadcast across the nation. You can't take back the video. And even if you right. did delete it, I think every black person got a copy on their phone. Cause I do. I got a copy. Yeah. If you just in no, case you lose your copy, I got a copy. No. <laughs> you know? right. right. They cannot rewrite history. <laughs> they can't rewrite time. this time, right? But I, I feel uh, like that's where we are too. It's like people like people are fed up and yeah. like we know what's happened in the past and don't want to replicate that for, for future generations. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So I have basically two more areas I want to uh, go with you before we um, end our time together. Mm-hmm. It's been so amazing. We could go into to two and three pl- episodes with this whole racial piece about <laughs> incarceration, girl. And I, I do think we're going to have you return and just have an episode mm-hmm. um, just on that because I think it's important. That would be awesome. I think it's important for people to hear these numbers because this is your thing, you know. Um, but one thing mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you with urban policy, did you find yourself in the field when you were working at Global Citizen and working for the mayor of New York? Did you find yourself having challenges in terms of a black woman? And what did that look like? Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, sadly, these spaces are all predominantly white. Like, yeah. it's like every time I get to a new period of like transition, mm-hmm. it's always predominantly white when I went to Gettysburg then when I went to um, my master's program Mm -hmm. then when I started to work you know at Global Citizen where Global Citizen is like they have a a more broad reach um, but if you look at leadership if you look at you know the folks who are in managerial positions it's predominantly white same thing at the mayor's office um, sadly our team, I, I feel I'm the only black senior policy analyst. Wow. Um, but there are, there are um, about three more uh, people of color, uh, women. Wow. Who are, yeah. yeah. So it's a huge, like, struggle because there's times where I'm like, I want to walk into my workspace and, you know, see my homegirl and, like, <laughs> be able to discuss certain things without having a code switch or having to, you know, be mindful of like all these things social wise. Um, And I wish it was more representative of the city that in the space that, that we're making policy. I'm about to say like, like, how are you making policy for people? You don't even live in those spaces. (laughs) Like you don't even know the challenges. And that's not to say that, you know, all urban areas are made up with 100% people of color, but we sure are the majority up in those spaces. So I would think that you would want the majority of those people that's in those spaces to be making the policy. This is just craziness. It's it's crazy. And it's like, and these are things that, you know, they, when you take a research methods class in grad school, they tell you, make sure when you start doing any of your policy analysis work, it's representative of the community, you get feedback from the community, you do roundtables. And in reality, the people who are making things, these policies are so disconnected, which is why we have so many unintended consequences when any reform gets made or when anything um, always gets done. And then we get the backlash afterwards. So um, we got a long way to go, especially at a lot of these organizations. Um, You know, I I have had the the privilege of at least being involved and being at the table in some of these spaces, which one side is is great because it's like, if I hear something that's completely wrong, I I can say something. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, you're way off. You're way off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but it's also more draining like it's just more exhausting right right, right. And like it's like why do i have to do this like um and then it's like sometimes i don't feel the need to or i feel like i have the energy to right. so um 
it's it's huge. I feel like it's a huge uh, issue with the lack of representation in a lot of these spaces. And the, and yeah. the sad thing is that there are more people like you out there. You know, they right. want us to believe that the lack of representation is because we don't have enough black people with education or enough people <laughs> of color in the field. Like, no, you ain't hiring us because we out right. there, we educated, <laughs> we getting what we need. We know what we need and we know how to present yeah. it. But you ain't we ain't we ain't part of the interview process. You ain't you ain't crabbing. Right. And, and, and you know, it's only but so many of us oftentimes they even want in the space. You know, right. So it, exactly. it, you know, so that yeah. that is definitely a, a challenge, and it's, it's it's unfortunate because I, you know, it's across the board in our professions, right? But especially mm-hmm. with urban policy, I would just think that there would be more of a mm-hmm. concentrated, concerted effort to recruit people from yeah. those areas, you know, that make up that area because these policies apply to them. But we see right. it. We see this in our social services agencies where you know the predominant is 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 non people of color but you're serving people of color you know and whatnot yeah. so i think i definitely i hear you on that um yeah nonprofits everywhere it's everywhere when i first moved to new york i was um in the private field i was at a insurance company <laughs> and you know of course there it's corporate it was it was more in your face yeah um but nonprofit side, it's there too. If yeah. you look at leadership and managerial levels, yeah, it's all white. That's all I've done for the last twenty-seven years is nonprofit, and and I see it mm-hmm. now. Harrisburg area is not as um urban as Philadelphia. They do have their they have huge urban pockets, but not as big as Philly or New York. Um, and it's not as uh white as Philly in in, in New York in terms of uh the the population, right? But it still, you know, it still has, you know, the it still has a huge Hispanic and, and African American right. population. They even have a, a growing African population and a huge growing Indian population. And yet, and still, social services, human services, the last twenty seven years, everywhere I walk in, I'm like one. I'm the only African American doctor. There may be another one randomly that's a consultant. Um, all of the therapists are non people of color. Some the, the workers, the human services workers that are going into the home and, and doing foster care services and those types of things, yeah. all not people of color, but you're placing people of color, you know. <laughs> and it, and then and then I think what bothers me the most is the resistance to understanding the culture. A lot of times right. we're human services. We we should be the most diverse in terms of like you don't have to be necessarily a person of color to serve a person of color, but you need to be culturally diverse. You need to have an understanding of the culture yeah, and a respect competence. and a mm-hmm. respect for the culture. And oftentimes these people are functioning in spaces of racist um, context and don't even realize that they're racist. You know, like yeah. they don't even realize it. And if you confront it, then it's an issue, you know? And right. so it, I feel you. It is very exhausting and very um, overwhelming um, to constantly yeah. be trying to explain, you know, and and, right. and, and, and and whatnot. But thankfully, I'm thankful for you in those spaces, though. You know, I am mm-hmm. because we need us to be able to advocate and to do, to do the work mm-hmm. and to try to pull in other people like us. So thank God mm-hmm. for what you're doing right now. Yeah, totally. So last yeah. but not least, you are really heavy into the health and fitness. So you know, you got mom loves that area too. Um, but you're yeah. really into it. You have a blog and fitness page and and tell us about that. Like how did you come to this space and how's it how did you end up deciding to do a blog and and how's yeah. it going and, and what how you know, just give us the inner workings of that. Yeah. Um, so I've been on my, I guess, like health journey for a couple years now, like I would say like six years, um, but I just started the whole, you know, sharing and and blogging and engaging others um, back in October. Um, So back in 2014, I actually like made a decision. I was very overweight. (laughs) Um, I had high blood pressure. I mean, I always grew up, you know, on on the thicker side. Yeah. I, I never had a, a big problem with like my body image um but I think when I got older I was I was in school I was in college and you know I was definitely eating really inconsistently I was you know studying around the clock and then I would just eat whatever was at the dining hall 
um, actually was studying abroad for a semester mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. just living, you know, just living a, my best life. Right, right, right. Enjoying all the Italian food. <laughs> um, but when I got back, I was just at my highest weight and like, you know, going to the doctor and hearing that I'm, you know, at risk and have high blood pressure. I was like, I need to do something about this. Um, so that summer, I actually just started to look up some ideas and tips and a lot of um, things that people were suggesting was around like, you know, keep eating, but don't um, overeat in calories and like be mindful of, of your um, like how much you're burning and tracking and things like that. Yeah. So I started to do some of that stuff and I worked out, I started working out four days a week and then that turned to like five days a week. Um, and then I slowly just started to see, you know, mm-hmm. pounds drop off right. and people noticing it. When I went back to school after the summer, so many of my friends were just like, what did you do? Oh my God. And I was like, wow, it's working. <laughs> and I was just like surprised, you know, cause I just never had any success with like yeah. any weight loss. Um, so the fact that it was sticking, it was just real motivating. It was, it was really motivating. Um, so I kept it up and slowly I started to see like my blood pressure improve and like just being able to study and, and do things and like walk with friends for longer, just basic things that I, I saw so many benefits to getting healthier. Yeah, um, yeah. And I just kind of stayed with it. Um, and over the past six years, I, I lost about like 70 pounds now. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. So it was, it was a lot of weight. Um, and now I'm mostly focused on um, strength and toning. So I'm doing a lot more weight training, which is, is like, not to say fun. Like people are like, you are so weird. Let's talk about weight training. But it's actually fun. It's like, okay, I love weight training too. Fun. I love lifting. Yeah. I love seeing how it just makes you feel powerful. To see how strong yeah. you are and, and yeah, yeah. It's like powerful. It's like it's also like okay, when I start a new type of exercise or routine, it might be hard at first, but I know I'm gonna get it. And when I get it, I'm like, Yep, you know, I yeah. feel good about myself. Yeah. Um so I uh I started up a, a blog called Sharon Strain. Mm-hmm. Um and the name, so my my middle name is Sharon, um, which is also my mom's middle name. Yeah. And um, in my first blog piece, I kind of talk a little bit about the significance of that and how, you know, she modeled for me for so long what it means to be strong and, you know, how for me, like, I got a lot of my strength from, from, from her and, mm-hmm. and a lot of her encouragement. Um, so what I really would like to do is kind of be that resource for other people, yeah. like empower them, yeah. you know, to, if they want to lose weight or if they want to find better ways to improve their diet um they can look at some of my like tricks and tips and what's worked for me um so yeah i'm on instagram at sharon strength um and then i have a website uh www.sharonstrength.com so it's new and i'm just starting but eventually thinking about getting certified as a health coach Mm -hmm, and you mm -hmm. know being able to offer some more you know one-on-one type of uh, insight. So, so yeah, it's been a, a cool, like new ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like that's your passion strength. That's that's your past passion work, not just passion strength, yeah. but that's your passion work. So, uh, I remember your mom spelling her middle name like Sharon, but it's, but it was mm-hmm. pronounced Sharon. How do you spell your middle yeah. name? It's, it's spelled with an E. You're, S-H-E-R-O-N. So she spells mm-hmm. it. You spell yours differently from her. No, all, both of ours is, is Sharon. Okay. Like people end up, I think they end up saying Sharon, so it gets confusing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, for some reason, I I remember, and I might be wrong, but I remember her spelling it S-H-A-R-O-N, but it was actually pronounced Sharon. But I, I probably got that mixed uh, up. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought, no, both ours is with an E. With an E, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's at S-H-E-R-O-N, strength. Right. And then yeah. www.shero.n.com. And that, and that will be in the show notes guys. Um, her, how you can um, connect with her if you want to um, follow her, but her, uh, her, uh, her, her health and fitness page is something that I keep a tab on one because she's my goddaughter and I want to see what's happening in her wonderful <laughs> life, but it does provide some really good tips. 
really good tips mm-hmm. similar you know similar to you this was why your mom say you remind me you, you remind <laughs> her of me as i lost about 70 80 pounds over the course oh, of wow. a longer time though a longer period of time but i lost about 80 pounds over the course of about 10 i want to say about 10 years and i gained some of it back when i started going through menopause and then yeah. i just lost 15 of that um i gained oh. like 25 of it back and I, I lost 15 of that um over the over the uh covid so, you know, oh, menopause, wow. menopause throws a monkey wrench in it, but always <laughs> checking in with your page and just making sure that, um, you know, I do the same, you know, do the same health things that, that, uh, mm-hmm. that you found at work. So I would yeah, recommend yeah. anybody to take a moment, follow her, check her out. Her workouts are cool. Her recommendations are good, cool. And she's just a humble, humble spirit. Um, I, oh, uh, thank you. I just feel like today we got so many nuggets dropped from a younger generation and I love to hear from younger people um, about what they're doing and how they can motivate um, anybody, not just your age group, but anybody. And you're mm-hmm. hearing from you today really um, motivated, provided some motivation. I believe I know to my listeners, but as well as to your godmom. But what I want to yeah. wrap up with is I, I, what I heard from you is that you really took time to to figure out a way to make this time after losing your parent, your mom. Um, and at one point, you know, your dad was in jail. So it probably felt like both of them were gone because, you know, there is some grief associated with long-term incarcerations as well, because it's just like that person, you can write them, but they're almost like not present, you know? Right, right. But it sounds like you took and just kind of filled that energy into so much, so many different good things, you know, um, in terms of your blog, the exercise, you know, exercise is excellent for those good hormones as well as yeah. like, you know, the therapy pieces and just advocacy for your dad. And that's all the stuff that we as therapists recommend to people that are trying to kind of come up, pull up themselves up from that mat after that, that hit, that just that hard hit, yeah. you know, and Monica's <laughs> loss was a two piece, I think for all of us, right? Black yeah. eyes, we got black eyes, we got hit in the gut, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, so. Yeah. Milne, once again, Thank you so much for taking time for us today. We Thank really enjoyed you. you. Can't wait um, to have you back on and talk about a little bit more about those incar- that incarceration rate and some of yeah, those things. I would love to come back uh, and talk more about it. I loved being here and sharing and hearing from you and, you know, just diving into some of these topics. So Sounds good. Yeah. Can't wait to have you back, Nene. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's it, gang this week's sanity sesh with dr dawn i hope you enjoyed this episode and walked away with some life changing nuggets don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast and we would love to connect with you at sanity sessions for sisters at gmail.com on instagram at dr dawn on the real and please join our facebook group the same gang all right now i got to go have a blessed and prosperous week and until next time y'all Stay sane.